NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Beyond Storytime Collab with the National Writing Project. The Beyond Storytime collab was started as a way to bring educators together with children's book authors and illustrators to discuss the ways we might work together, uh, especially to support young writers and their families during this period of physical and social distancing due to COVID-19. In reaching out to authors and illustrators, I noticed a few of them right in our midst. TC's Ruth Devlin and Rebecca Garcia Gonzalez, as well as Amy Bauman, who's the founder of Bauman Wordsmiths and a former NWP staff member. They have been working on a children's book that um, is close to being done and are working together as authors, illustrators, and editors uh, to make this happen. So I'm really thrilled to welcome our colleagues here today and to talk to them about this process of making this book together and what they learned from each other as they were collaborating. And then I'm really interested in hearing their reflections on the process, both as teachers, but also as artists themselves. So welcome Ruth, Rebecca, and Amy, and thank you so much for making the time to be here. Ruth, do you wanna start by introducing yourself and telling us why this book and a bit about how it gets started? Hi, um, thanks for having me. Um, I've been a teacher in the Clark County School District for the last 30 plus years and primarily working with second language learners. And I know that I have always used literature in the classroom, not only to enhance language development, but as ways to share the world with my students and to show um, the faces of my students in literature. Um, I use my own writing with my students to demonstrate the writing process. And when I started, you know, I've, one of the books that I've written was to help teach the students about the Mojave Desert that we live in here in Las Vegas. Um, another one was because the Halloween books that we had in the classroom didn't show a diverse population. And so I worked with an illustrator from our, from UNLV um, to develop that. And then I started thinking about some of the language um, skills that I needed to teach and how to help, how to best help my second language learners. The, a very, very long time ago when I was thinking about this, um, I started realizing that one of the pieces that I need as I'm, I'm always working on learning Spanish um, was those prepositions. Where in the universe are things? Where am I? Where is a particular object? And I know that I struggle with keeping those straight in Spanish and my language learners were having trouble keeping them straight in English. So I started wondering what that would look like in a book because I can act out those prepositions in my classroom, but if I'm not with my students all the time, which I'm not, then I wanted them to have a reference that they could go back to. And so I drew out an idea of what, um, what characters could be doing 
and thought about having them be ants. So the ants could be that language example in my classroom um, for those times when I wasn't right there. That's awesome. I love how this emerges right out of your classroom. Is this the original drawing? Yes, um, I had to dig back through a lot of notebooks. Um, and it turns out actually that this um, original sketch was done at a National Writing Project um, meeting. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Not that I wasn't paying attention to the presenters, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, um, and then you shared some other drafts here too. So once I had that idea sketched out for myself, um, and I think that I know particularly for my students, uh, visual sign systems are, are useful and valid and um, have to be used. And once I had that, those ideas sketched out in my notebook, I started doing the writing and looking at what the structure of the book and having uh, friends read them so that they could help me see if it made sense because I believe in writing within a community of writers. Um, for this one, I once I had some of those drafts done, I turned to Amy um, Bowman, who is a friend of mine, and I know that she is a great responder and has some professional um, background that some of my local writing friends maybe don't. And so she was kind enough to take a look at those well, I gave her what I thought was the final draft, um, but she was kind enough to look at that. And the response that she gave me back actually made a huge difference in what the end product was. That's lovely. Amy, maybe you could introduce yourself in this mix. Well, good morning. And it's nice to be working with all my NWP colleagues um, for a change instead of just working by myself. Um, I've been writing as long as I could hold a pencil. And I think as I put in my bio, it wasn't really until college that I realized that amounted to a real job um, and that you could put those skills to work as an editor, which is sort of the other half of the coin when you're talking about writing something. Um, even editors, when they're writing, they don't they don't think enough of their own editing skills to be editing their own stuff. I always say, once you write something, you've kind of destroyed yourself as the editor. So I've been professionally editing um, for more than 20 years. And um, my last inside job was, of course, with the National Writing Project. And so um, now, I, now I run my own outfit, Bauman Wordsmiths where I get to work on a little bit of everything, which seems to suit me well. So Ruth brought her manuscript to me. I don't even remember Ruth when it was, but I know you do. Um, but um, then as she says, life got in the way and it, it just recently she came back to me. So that's kind of where my role starts. Great, thank you. And Rebecca. Introduce yourself. I met Ruth working at the National Writing Project, and um, I actually knew you, Ruth, for a couple of years before you mentioned your um, children's book idea. And I immediately said yes, because I had uh, illustrated other children's books before. They just didn't go 
through the publishing process, but I was familiar. Um, I studied fine arts actually in Puerto Rico. And when I came to San Francisco, I studied graphic design. I don't know if Ruth knew that because I don't often mention it. But so um, I started working as an illustrator uh, more seriously in 2016, which is the year I decided I was going to live entirely of my art in one way or another. And uh, when the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil came on the market, I was one of the early adopters because it's very ergonomic and it allowed me to work uh, sitting on my sofa. So uh, Ruth was uh, the beneficiary of these experiments. So by the time she asked me again, almost 10 years later, I had all of this set up and I said yes enthusiastically. I hadn't seen her draft, um, but um, I'll let her talk about it later. I just wanna point out that in these pictures, some of it is um, a painting and a poster and some work I did for uh, private clients. So I also had that set up by the time she came along. I had a, I had a process that I used to work with private clients and not surprisingly, it is not unlike the process that writers use to develop drafts and manuscripts. That's so interesting, great. And now I, uh, would love to hear about this process of working together and kind of your stories. So Ruth, do you want to start us off here? Sure. You know, and I, Rebecca, you were mentioning that you didn't know if I knew of your work. And I, again, at a National Writing Project meeting, um, I think you had been sharing uh, a website or a way that people could take a look at your paintings. And I started poking around on the internet and was so astounded and um, full of wonder at your abilities that I, that was what I knew first about you, was your painting. Um, so, I mean, you saw earlier in the slides my sketches. I have some artistic ability, and so I knew a little bit about how I wanted the book to look. I, knew, I definitely knew what I wanted the ants to be doing and uh, my visual sense told me how they could be moving through the story. But I'm very sure that I didn't have the capacity to do the illustrations in the way that I wanted them to be for the final product. So knowing what I knew about Rebecca and I think, you know, knowing my sense about folks who, uh, teachers who work with the writing project is they're collaborative and they're open to discussion and um, have lots of ideas. And so I thought if I'm gonna work with somebody, how great for it to be a writing project person. So I have, I know that it's very unusual to have the chance to work really closely with the artist for your, or the illustrator for your book. So it seemed like an amazing opportunity to be able to have the back and forth. And it, it turned out better than I could have imagined. Thank you for saying that, Ruth. Um, I would say the same thing about you. And um, actually, I screen clients before I start working with them because their familiarity with the process is really important. 
so that everybody can have realistic expectations. So one thing that I know was hugely helpful was that you knew exactly how you wanted the book to look. And that's because you're not new to this. You've published two books before. So uh, that was, I was excited by that, that you could describe the style of the visual style for the book so clearly. And I was actually surprised that you agreed to sketch because most people are very uh, nervous about drawing when they think they can't draw. So those two elements were very helpful. Um, I also knew you from working at NWP and um, I knew you would carry through with your plans. And I remember asking you, how do you know I'm even gonna finish this project? And you said, I've been following you on social media and I know you finished your projects. And I was really impressed by that. I thought, oh, she's done her homework. Fantastic. Then we're going to work well together. And that's what happened. Um, I just wanted to mention that in the uh, working process, it's really unusual to work the way you and I worked, which is every time I finished a sketch or a drawing, I would share it with you and you would be able to comment usually artists do these things in batches um, only because um, a client might be tempted to make endless revisions and that's usually not within people's budgets but in your case i took a chance and i thought since she is so familiar with this process and such a uh, mindful person let's see if this works and it actually did work um, for the drawings, I used a combination of reference photos that I took myself, some um, sources, and um, actually some drawings that were inspired by Ruth's own sketches. Uh, one uh, example of that is the cover. She had sketched this bridge, and after discussing to what scale we would do it, then that's the drawing that came out of it. That uh, was not really. Uh, it wasn't a real bridge from a photo, but a bridge that Ruth and I built together through our conversations. Oh, that's awesome. What a great metaphor. Let's uh, look at some of these sketches together. Do you want to um, walk us through what we're seeing here? Yeah. Well, so when I met with Rebecca, um, actually last March, right before nobody could go anywhere, um, I was in Berkeley and was able to get together with Rebecca and have a meeting and she asked me to bring a, a sketch of the book and um, Rebecca you mentioned that people were nervous I'm I was so anxious about that um, but what was astounding about it was that as I drew um, and you can see in this example my I had typed the text out and ended up cutting and pasting and then drawing around it, stapling pages together. Um, it made me think about the, the book and how it would work in a way that I would not have had I, if I had only had that written um, copy, just the text alone. So I was able to share the drawings with Rebecca so that she could see what my vision was and she took my vision and enhanced it in in all cases yeah i remember how delighted i was that ruth had already thought about 
text placement and other details that are more um, in the realm of layouts and not so much illustration. And um, I also remember being excited about how detailed her compositions were because in, our, in the first stage of the book, uh, we developed the composition. I know Ruth was ready to talk about the Anne characters and more detailed aspects, but I kept uh, reminding us that we couldn't do that until we locked the composition. So what these pictures are is um, examples of how the composition changed uh, from the initial sketches to the end. And also, uh, I think it's really interesting how the cover evolved because um, we discussed everything down to um, the shape that the title would have, where would we turn it into two lines, and um, where the credits should be, and what ant characters should be a part of that cover. And I don't know if you can see a picture of two children, um, two feet, two little feet, and ants going around. That one went through many many versions um, and I remember um, we discussed how the ant would be sitting and which is a yoga pose and I forgot the name of it. If I can jump in here I, I think that one of the things that shows up um, in my sketch and then in Rebecca's illustrations was something that Amy had brought up in her original um, comments about my draft which was what would happen if there were some ants that you could follow all the way through. And so in my sketch, I was getting ready to point to the computer screen, but that's not gonna help anybody. Um, on the, the double spread at the bottom right, uh, there's a little note that I had written about one of the ants that ends up being a character that you can follow throughout. So it, it is a story about prepositions, but visually now there is something for students to follow along with. The, also the story of the ants, yeah. I, the covers, I, I noticed the ants that sort of introduce us, you know, are kind of in the foreground and then the, um, it makes you feel like you're, you're with them somehow. <laughs> and if I can jump in for one second, um, Ruth, you, you credit me with having brought some of that detail in, but having come in early and then after you and Rebecca had really refined things, um, I can see what I saw in the beginning when I first read your manuscript in that sometimes it's just the right detail. If you choose the right detail to focus on, like the small bare feet, I remember getting a, a great visual of, of the whole manuscript as I, as I read through it. And um, that's a sign of a good writer. And, and if you start with something good, as everybody uh, collaborates, it just becomes better and better. And so I was amazed, again, having been there early and then coming in again more recently to, to see that it, it surprised me in, in, in looking at the illustrations in that um, I could see all the work that you two had done, but it looked exactly the way I thought it was going to look from the beginning, which is really kind of mind-blowing in a way, but it also makes you feel really cool about having been part of that process. 
That's awesome. Thank you. Um, I think we have thumbnails next, which are also super fun to look at. Rebecca, you want to tell us about these? Yeah, that's an essential tool of anyone who's developing anything that goes longer than one page. So that works for comic books, it works for um, storyboards, and it certainly works for children's books. So I wanted Ruth to have this. I didn't know she had a, a, a put together a little book at home, so I thought she should see uh, the development on, of the book in this format. Um, so I typically work in black and white, and these were done on the iPad, and so I was able to uh, develop it very quickly. And I don't know if, now you've seen some of the pages, the finished pages. So you can see, for example, that the little feed page uh, went through some changes. And um, one conversation we had that I think was really important was about the flow, uh, the overall flow of the spreads, which is not, always um, conversation you have with an illustrator, but it comes to be very important towards the later stages of the book development. And so I had asked Ruth, how many spreads of two pages did she plan to have? She gave me a number and that's what I used to develop these thumbnails. You can see that there's um, a total of three two-page spreads. And um, we also talked about how the single pages would work with each other. Um, uh, Ruth, do you wanna add something to that? Cause I know that this is just from my own perspective as a visual artist, but I, I we were, our, our phones probably um, were busy at that time. Cause I know we were using text, email, and comments on Dropbox to discuss this? I think for me, one of the pieces that ended up being really important about looking at this thumbnail sketch in addition to my little stapled booklet was that um, in the book, the text, in the, in the text of the book, the prepositions go in a particular order till the middle of the book and then they reverse and go to the end of the book so that children are exposed to them twice. And the opening spread and the end spread are opposite. So you've got the hill on the left and at the, at the beginning and the hill on the right at the end. And in the middle of the book, um, they go up, they go down, and that's when things start to go backwards. So visually, I can see the order of my prepositions. Um, but students also will be able to take a look at that. And as they spend more time with the book, they might also notice, oh, look at how it is at the beginning, look at how it is at the end. And my experience, you know, I have, have been teaching primary students for my career and um, first, second, third graders love to spend time with books. And they like to go, meaning that they like to go back to the same one over and over. So my sense is that they will want to go back to it because it's visually appealing. And from a teaching standpoint, there's a lot that they can pick up with repeated viewings of it. And I remember uh, reassuring you that the socks would look like socks later on.
I think it's so interesting to think about, I, I really appreciate you talking about sort of compositionally how those spreads work and sort of how they work in the overall piece. It's such an interesting part. It seems like such an interesting part of a composition process. Um, and I know there were other sort of visual considerations like this too that you made along the way. Yeah, one huge conversation we had because this is a book about ants was in what scale should we show the ants at what time? Ruth was clear that, and I wholeheartedly agreed with that idea that there should be various uh, points of view and there also should be close-ups and um, other shots of the ants and there should be a variety so that, you know, there would be interesting interesting things to see from spread to spread. But one thing that we developed uh, as we went was the idea of how to scale the objects so that the ants would still be visible if someone was reading the book out loud to a group, for example. We knew that the ants couldn't be that small, but um, we knew that we couldn't be entirely realistic with the scale of objects because we would face the problem of um, some objects being shown so large that children wouldn't know what we were really showing. Is that really a shoe or is that a sock? We wouldn't be able to tell. So we tweaked that in each page as best as we could to make objects readily identifiable and um, to show ants uh, if you look up closer, you can see individual little ant characters, which I think is wonderful and was something that Ruth really wanted. Um, and um, finally, the color harmony, which was something that I, I introduced the idea that there's, that we need to vary the harmonies also from page to page, but to make them more pleasant, there should be certain colors. And that's what you see here. The fork started out being blue, but after talking with each other, Ruth um, decided to change the color to golden because it, we thought it would work out better. So what you have now is a primary color harmony on that page and Ruth liked it better, so did I. And placement of the text was the last one and a really difficult one because you want the text to be readable but you don't want to be jumping all over the place and uh, how much should you change the composition to accommodate text? That's a balance that every author faces. Um, I don't know if Ruth wants to talk about that because we had some spirited discussions, I remember. I know as a teacher of reading to young children, I know how important it is um, for beginning readers to see text in the same place to have that if the text is going to be at the bottom as they're just beginning to learn to read they know to look for it there um i know originally i had a sense of we'll do the top on the left hand side and the the text will be on the bottom on the right hand side and it'll be that way all throughout the book um i was able to let go of that a little bit as the illustrations developed um because it it just didn't look right and because the text is that nice dark black, it stands out. Um, it is either on the top or the bottom. So children, beginning readers will be able to figure out where to look for it. Um, 
you know, in the development of those the different ants, should they have the six legs like they really do? Is it okay for them to be four appendages only? Um, it turned out that it didn't really matter. And I know, bless Rebecca's heart, I, I know that consistently I said, could this ant be bigger? Could it be bigger? Because they're such wonderful ants. Um, but I think that there, we've struck a balance. I don't think that too many folks are going to be saying, oh my goodness, uh, that ant would not be anywhere near that size with a fork. Um, because that's, that's just not the important piece. With this particular fork page, um, Rebecca developed the illustrations first and the text came on later. And I know that when I first got the illustration with the golden fork, I had to look back through my notes and think, did I put yellow? You know, what, which color did I have? But that <laughs> clearly looks so much better than the blue fork that it, it originally said in the text. And the color didn't matter. The book was about the prepositions. And so that was one uh, piece in which I made a change in words uh, based on Rebecca's illustrations. Another, um, the ants had a particular action they were engaging in, in the text. The picture that, the illustration that Rebecca did um, clearly showed frolicking. And so I was able to work with a writing partner here uh, in Las Vegas to find the word frolic that better fit the illustration. And so, it makes a difference to, as a writer to be able to be willing to make those changes, you know, to not be so, it's gotta be just this way. And sometimes it does, but in this process, we were able to find places where those changes could be made. And the character, you know, we've, in the illustration that um, Rebecca has put on this slide, we see them clothed and we see them unclothed. Um, how much, how much clothing does an ant need to wear as they're showing prepositions? Um, how, and, and I think that that went along with the development of the character that Amy had, had brought up as an initial idea. I love them and they're the little things that they're carrying and the little pieces of color that it brings into is, is lovely. I was delighted when I first looked at the illustrations um, and saw that or saw how you had humanized them or given them individual um, personalities. And as an editor, you, you look at that sort of thing. I noticed pretty quickly that they, that they had four appendages rather than six. Um, and because that's the kind of thing that you need to help the author and illustrator remain faithful to whatever decisions an author and an illustrator make it's part of your job to make sure if um, character X had a blue shirt, he needs to have a blue shirt as, as long as it remains relevant. And so for in, instance, with the, with the four legs rather than the, the six, um, I saw it and I really liked it. And it, it sort of must've given you guys a lot of freedom too, in a way, especially as an, from the illustrator's point. Um, yes, because the ants were somewhat anthropomorphic, I think we were freer to discuss all the different actions they could have been performing and 
I would say that was um, the other 50% of developing each of the pages, working out those actions in a way that looked natural and looked purposeful and in a way that serviced the overall text that Ruth had already developed. So that's where the, her conversations with you were most relevant and helpful, Amy, because it was clear to me that she had already um, been discussing uh, that uh, visual narrative with the ants. And so when it came time to draw the characters, she pulled from those conversations to help me understand what the various roles of the ants would be. Uh, there is, a, you can see here that there's an ant dressed in orange. She is what we call the operations manager. She holds a map and she's leading the ants towards where the better food is. And all of that came from, a, um, sorry, Ruth and you, Amy. That really wasn't me, but when the time came to draw her, I was really clear on what I needed to do because we'd had those conversations. And um, the opposite of that, when people aren't clear, is a lot of hit and miss, and that turns out to be more expensive. So I would always recommend that you talk about all of the elements as much as possible. It was very helpful here. This is great. And also reading with young readers, um, I was just thinking about how, Amy, you said that part of your job is to remain, like, make sure that the, the, the ideas are consistent throughout. Because I was thinking young readers, they really notice. <laughs> they will see that, <laughs> point that out. Exactly. And they, and they like that detail, too, you, you know, yeah. um, with the operations manager and um, if, if they can recognize him or her, I mean, in this case, it's a her, but if, if kids can recognize a character throughout, especially if you as the author or illustrator are planting it there for their amusement or for the furthering of the story, um, it, it really helps with the cohesiveness. But also I've heard both Ruth and Rebecca um, say things that remind me of what I of what I looked for when I was a kid, and I think you guys have both um, referenced. Oh, I think this is what a young reader is looking for, or they like this, or they follow that. And um, when I was a kid, any book that had multiple layers like that was was one that became a favorite. And so you have to keep a sense of that when you get into kids' books. And I, and I in addition to NWP, I've, I've been um, working with children's books for, for years, both um, for publishers like Golden Books and, and Freelance and everything. But you, you kind of have to be able to tap back into either the way you thought or what you know from your experience as, a, as an educator. That's great. Thank you. So, these collaborations have taken place over a long period of time and um maybe we can just go back for a second and sort of talk through you've just talked through so many different pieces and um and i maybe ruthie could just sort of talk us through what how did this all, all unfold again um 
Well, thank goodness I never throw any of my notebooks out. Yeah, this is great. This documentation. I've been able to recreate <laughs> history since 2007. Um, so 2007, 13 years ago, I, when I think about that, I am aghast at, um, I don't know, my, how I put things off or, or in wonderment at how life just happens and, and it takes time. Um, so 2007 was that initial sketch in my notebook. Um, a couple years after that, I had a conversation with Rebecca. Um, we met again on a trip when I was uh, in Berkeley and I asked her if she would be interested and yes, she was interested. And then I don't know what happened for a couple of years. And then I gave um, the draft to Amy and asked her for her feedback, which she gave me. And again, thank goodness I don't throw anything out because I still, you know, when I came back to it again, um, so many years later, I was able to look back at those comments and then go from there to help me visually develop it in order to contact Rebecca again. Um, so this year, uh, back in March, and Rebecca had great questions for me um, before we met in March things that that gave me um, sort of an outline to bring to her so that she could then do what she uh, does best. So um, I gave her that roughly sketched version. Um, I actually hadn't thought about giving it to her. I don't, that seems silly when I say it out loud now, but thankfully a friend was able to make a copy of it, give it to her, and then I was able to send a, a darker copy because my tentative sketches were very, very light. Um, and then we've been working on it uh, since March uh, steadily. And Rebecca sent illustrations, asked for my feedback. Um, so it's been a real back and forth. And um, again, an amazing collaboration to, to have the freedom to say, what do you think about doing this in this illustration and Rebecca being able to ask me the same questions. Does this work for you? Um, and then, you know, this summer making sure that the book would fit into the, the publishing parameters. And uh, once I had sort of the sketched, sketched is the wrong word. Once I had Rebecca's illustrations with the text, I gave it, uh, sent it again to Amy and asked her to take a look at it. And um, in addition to just general feedback, um, she was, I was looking specifically for, are my commas in the right places? Um, those things that we often think are, are the editor's job. Amy gave editing feedback. Um, just general feedback, which I guess is a form of editing. But then she was also so kind as to gently say, this needs to be here, that comma should go there, the ellipses should look like this. Um, and I was so thankful for that because there's nothing worse than reading through a picture book and finding a mistake and that's, mm -hmm. nobody wants that. So bless you, Amy, for yes, taking Amy. the last look at it. I want to thank you too because I kept telling Ruth that I was not minding the text at all 
<laughs> and that I knew that I would make mistakes. And I did many, many mistakes as I typed the text onto. I, and this wasn't the real text, but it was text so that Ruth could see how the text was working with each illustration. And uh, I know that you did that a couple of times. And I would print out your list and set to work. And everything was um, super helpful. Um, I want to clarify something that you see in the slide. It says that June and July was spent ensuring the book could conform to digital publishing standards, but we're not publishing a digital book. Uh, right now we're publishing a paperback, but what we mean by digital publishing standards is simply the kind of document you have to put out in order for a printer to print a paperback. So you send a digital document that then gets translated into a paperback and, and that does take time. Great, thank you. Well, I, I do think there's both the sort of how much time this took, but then I also want to like look at it like with an appreciative lens of like what happens when you just, you know, hold on to your ideas and one day you're able to, to do it and it's able to come together. So I know you just submitted um, all the work too. So congratulations on being almost there. It's really exciting. Thank you. So maybe we can take a little time as educators. Um, what, what do you think that, so our colleagues, teachers watching this, folks who are supporting young writers and young readers, um, what, what feels important to share and, and think about as an educator? What do you feel like you, you know, taking, putting that hat on, taking off the artist hat for a second, putting that hat on as, they, as the teacher, and maybe they aren't separate hats, maybe they're all the same hat, but. <laughs> What do you want to share about? I think it's, it's, a, it's a series of hats. Um, That's right. So I know that as a writer, I absolutely recognize the importance of community. And in this particular project, what has happened for me is the reminder of the importance of visual thinking. Um, sometimes I think, you know, as teachers, we know things, but we forget them. Maybe there's so much to know that there's just not room for it all to be in the forefront at the same time. Um, I, so in having Rebecca ask me for that sketched version, I was reminded of how powerful visual thinking is. It, it, it was astounding to me. Um, I, I was also reminded through this collaboration of what a difference it can make to get a thoughtful response from someone, someone who actually has taken the time, read it, looked at it through whatever lenses, wearing whatever hats um, they happen to have, and how, if I'm open as a writer to that input, it can change my thinking, it can give me new ideas. Um, I know as a teacher, it has given me that renewed sense of the process that it takes to go from a rough draft or you know, a, a kernel of an idea through the drafting process to a final piece. And I work with second graders who often want to have it be one and done. 
you know, I wrote a story, I have something, I actually got letters on a page, I'm finished. And um, if I can bring this process into the classroom um, to show students that I, as a writer, have gone through this process, and yes, it can take a long time. You know, looking at our timeline, I, we were joking that, you know, I have my students for a year, this has taken, what, uh, 13 years. So they don't have that much time, but it will allow me to show my students it takes time um, using your whatever visual sign system you're going to use to share your ideas is useful and valuable and it's a language um, and hopefully to get them to move away from i'm just writing it once and i'm finished to let's look at what the process can look like and to help my students become thoughtful responders because I know what a difference it makes for me. So my experience as a writer translates to how I can help grow my students as writers. Great, thank you. Rebecca? Uh, unmute. Sorry, thanks for reminding me. Um, very uh, often uh, you think of, I, I think of this process as going to a supermarket where you have a lot of choices and then uh, trying to make sense of all the choices you have so you can uh, decide on what you're gonna buy. And so uh, creating a children's book is no different in that um, the choices could be overwhelming. And one um, way to narrow that down is to think of the audience. So some of the conversations we had had to do with who are the children that will be using this book and who are the adults and what is it that they could be doing with the book and how would they, what would they be pointing out and so forth. And that was um, probably the best um, practice in creating the book, maintaining a sense of what that audience looked like and acted like so that we could make decisions on not just what to include, but what to leave out, uh, not just in the text, but definitely with the illustrations. Um, and so uh, very often deciding what not to include is the most difficult thing. So um, also, I, it occurred to me too in reflecting as an educator, I don't know if I've mentioned that I've been a bilingual um, educator since the 80s and I'm a credentialed teacher and I have taught every grade level except for kindergarten. And so I think that that experience really came into play when I was working on the book because it gave me the confidence to talk to Ruth as a colleague and um, be a good sound sounding board for her, but also to um, explain what I meant when I was really um, invested in a particular thing. I remember a discussion we had about antenna in ants and <laughs> it was so, uh, it's funny now in um, looking back how um, passionately we felt about the different antenna that ants should have. 
But I know that the audience came into play in that discussion and also our experiences of reading books out, out loud and reading them to various audiences. So that's an example, but there's many other instances. Um, I think that's important if you're going to find an illustrator. Um, it's really helpful uh, to have some, to work with someone who has taught something because that's when um, that user experience, as they call it today, is what informs a lot of visual decisions. That's great, thank you. Really thoughtful reflections. And, um, and also considering that a lot of folks watching this are um, writers, creators, makers, editors themselves, and are often working in these different capacities. I'd love to hear also what you learned um, from these perspectives. And uh, Ruth, I'll pass it over to you again, or go yeah. ahead, Rebecca. Um, so the bullet points, I think, um, three most important things. I, as a writer, need to remember to be flexible and open to suggestions. Um, you know, I think that teachers are in a, a funny position of often being viewed as the expert. We, and especially elementary teachers, we teach all the subjects, so therefore we must know everything. And um, as a writer, it becomes very clear to me on a regular basis that I don't. So it, it was super important for me to be flexible with what, you know, I made some text changes. Okay, this ant could be doing this other thing instead of what I originally thought because that's better. Um, I, I also, as, the, as a writer, need to know what cannot change. So there are some pieces that it just has to be that way. And um, so recognizing the difference between what I can change and, and what, I, what I won't change. And then, lucky for me, I have the bank of experts. Um, so being able to find the perfect illustrator for this very simple children's story, which has become um, much more because of the visuals that were added to it. You know, being able to rely on um, the input from Amy. Um, so finding your experts. Who's my best? reader. I, I have, um, there are folks that I would not have given this to because I didn't think that I would get the feedback from them that I needed. So knowing how to, which, which expert is going to be best for this particular project. Um, and I found two great ones. I'll jump in. Um, I think one thing I really learned from this process that I think can help anyone involved in any of the capacities that the, that the three of us were is how much stronger you get when, when you have this kind of discussion. Listening to you two and thinking about the decisions you, you are making. And a lot of this, especially when you're doing this on a, um, this this is this process that I that I got to participate in with you two um, is laid open what you do um, like when you're doing it on a commercial level you you don't get to have these kind of conversations with the illustrator or the or the author and it but but having the 
um, gift of being able to do it and, and, and taking it on in a very trusting fashion with your partners, um, it, it makes you stronger in what you do. And, and listening to you, Ruth, talk about the decisions that you made or Rebecca hearing your idea that making the decision about what you're gonna leave behind um, reinforces the way you need to be thinking and reinforces the way I think about things. And in, in my notes here, the one thing that I realized, and thankfully I think I realized it kind of early on as an editor was um, that I'm the editor and I'm working with someone else's baby. And when you keep that in mind, you're, you're very respectful and you try to be very respectful. Sometimes you just get so into it and you get so passionate about it. You forget this is someone else's thing. But when I was hiring other writers to um, write children's books, which I, which I had the fortune, the good fortune to do when I worked for Golden Books and the pieces would come in and I'd be editing. And at some point early on, it, it occurred to me, no, I'm hiring these different writers because they have different voices. And when I came to that realization, I, I came to the belief that if I was doing my job well, you really wouldn't be able to see that I was there. So for instance, if Ruth, if you liked a certain word, like let's take, um, what did you say before? It wasn't cavorting, but uh, frolicking. If, if frolicking was your word and I really like cavorting, um, I tried to stick with frolicking because it was your word, not my word. And, and I think that figuring that out early on made the books that I was commissioning and editing, it made them diverse and, and that's what you want. And I think um, as an educator, that could be super useful as anybody involved in this kind of process that could be super useful because then you're giving other people the freedom to, to express themselves. And I think, um, you can, you can still coach people. You can still, you know, show them where the commas communicate the best, but then you're being careful to allow the whole process to kind of flower the best way it can, if that makes sense. It's lovely. Rebecca? Well, I, I've spoken about the audience, but, um, I think that something that comes from experience as an illustrator is to um, visualize the communication path that you and the person you are working with will use to let each other know not just what works well, but what could be different and why. Those are more difficult conversations that you still need to have. So how do you see that happening? And so um, in our case, um, that wasn't hard, but I've worked with other people who have sometimes hesitated to tell me something because um, they didn't know how to do it. And if you are a good visual artist, you're gonna make that easy um, for them. And also you're gonna have frequent communication during the project and so i wanted to point that out because it was natural with ruth but it is not always natural with everybody and you have to be prepared for that um, also when there's changes to uh, that are going to happen um, i like to offer choices because i would like 
my client to know that things can be done in different ways and what's going to happen visually if we make those changes. So um, I remember talking about the dress that the queen would have, and I ended up having, um, having her wear the dress I wanted. <laughs> which is a long dress with a train. And I remember Ruth saying, but that's a little impractical. Why would she wearing a dress with a train? And my only justification was because she's a queen and everything she wears is impractical. So that's, we are gonna show that visually. Um, but um, in other instances where we really had to make more um, impactful decisions, um, what it came down to is how it would affect the story visually. And I think that as a visual artist, you need to be able to articulate that for the writer. This is what it's gonna be like if we make this change and then let them make the decision. So I hope I did that, but only Ruth knows. So I'll pass it on to her. The answer is yes, Rebecca, it worked. <laughs> That's great. So let me stop sharing here for a second and just bring us all back together. And um, although I hate to turn off the visuals of the, of the book, I'm, but I'm really now really excited to, to get a copy. Um, maybe could we talk about where one could get this book originally uh, or soon? And then, um, and then maybe we'll do a round of last thoughts and um yeah so where can we get sure. so uh the book ants across around and through will be available on amazon within the next couple of weeks i'm imagining and uh the airing i i think there's a lag time between today and when this airs is that correct yes yes that's so true. so by that time hopefully just look it up on amazon and there it will be that's awesome. Congratulations. And um, yeah, I, I, I feel like it, you know, just in terms of moving into final thoughts, it's just, it's such a, Amy, you sort of said this, but um, and from your perspective as an editor, how valuable it is to hear the conversations among, you know, this sort of unpacking, debriefing, I don't know what you would call it, but sort of like talking through what actually happened, how you all learned from each other and how valuable that is. And I feel like from a, with a teacher and a writing perspective, it's just incredibly valuable. I feel just very enriched by having sat here and listened to and sort of gotten an inside view on how this actually can play itself out. You know, when you do have, you know, a trusting community of colleagues to work with. So, I so appreciate it. Any other sort of final thoughts that you might have before we sign off here? I, I am really glad to have been part of this process, not only for the book, but um, for this session with you, Christine. Um, and I'm just really glad to be working with NWP colleagues again. I think this is kind of the richness of what I loved working with and for and about. Oh, there's a lot of prepositions for you, Rui. Um, um, when I worked at NWP and, and just sitting with the three of you and feeling some of that energy again is, is really cool. So I'm very grateful both to have been part of the book and thanks to Christina being part of this session.
I want to thank the NWP and you, Christina, for inviting us. I, I, Amy took the words out of my head. Uh, it is great to feel that energy again. I like the way you described it, Amy. And I also would like to encourage any art lovers and young illustrators out there, or new illustrators for that matter, to take on a project and just do it because there's so much to be learned by the process. It's one program doesn't even scratch the surface. So I would encourage everyone to, to do it. In a, these days, it's possible to publish something yourself. So, and that's the best way to learn. And I think, thank you, Christina, um, Rebecca and Amy, thank the two of you for helping this come to fruition. And I think um, what remains so powerful is that we, I don't have to work in a vacuum. You know, within my classroom, you know, some, we all have our strengths. So what's your strength and where can you look within your community for what helps make something whole? So I needed an, uh, illustrator and I needed an editor and I was able to find those folks um, and have those rich discussions. And this is amazing um, to have all of us together to be able to talk through it. Great, those are perfect world words to end with. So thank you all so much for making and taking the time to be here this morning and for this lovely book. Can't wait to get my hands on it. Thank you, Christina. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.